I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast, where you will be inspired and empowered to connect more deeply with your authentic self as we explore topics of personal development, leadership, and spirituality. Your journey to your most authentic self starts right now. Nancy Regan is my guest today, and we are talking about her new memoir called From Showing Off to Showing Up, An Imposter's Journey from Perfect to Present. We chat about all sorts of things, including her addiction to approval in her earlier life, what she has come to learn about authenticity, and what does showing up in her life look like now. Nancy is open, honest, and reflective. Nancy Regan, welcome back to Soul Sister Conversations. I felt pretty honored the first time, Dana, but I'm super, super thrilled to be here a second time. So I I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for doing it. And first off, congrats on your book. I mean, that's no small feat to to write a book. Thank you. It certainly wasn't a small feat for me. I'm a first time author and I felt like uh, for a long time, I felt like I was staring up at this big mountain and thinking there's no friggin' way I'm going to be able to scale this thing. <laughs> and and then one day in February, um, I, all of a sudden I went, oh my gosh, I, I'm on the way down the other side of the mountain. I don't know when I crossed over the top, but awesome. uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, um, I'm proud of the book and I'm proud of myself that I managed to finish it. Uh, as you know, from from what you've read of it, I uh, I definitely am gifted with an ADHD brain, and I I don't always finish what I start. I am a big ideas girl. I love uh, sparking ideas, but I don't always finish them all. That's for sure. Well, you finished this, and you also uh, managed to get it on the national bestseller list. So, congratulations on, on that as well. Thank and you. and so, your book is called "From Showing Off to Showing Up: An Imposter's Journey from Perfect to Present." And the last time that you and I spoke back in episode sixty-eight, we talked about your authentic journey, and you got into some of the details about you know that journey and your time at Live at Five and just the changes that you were going through. Um, and and I want to dive deeper today, based on really what you talked about in your book. And after I read your book, I sat and thought about, you know, what I was walking away with. And, and I came to the conclusion, you know, there are many things, but you make us feel like we're not alone. You know, I think it's so brave and vulnerable to share your truth. And I could relate to so many aspects of your story. And, and from having coached people, I would say this is how many people other other people feel too. I mean, I've heard people give uh, workshops on how to, you know, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate your personal stories that you share, you know, private ones, admissions, and really a sneak peek of who you are. And you say that you lived to tell the tale and writing this book dragged you back into the darkness. Was it (laughs) difficult for you to be vulnerable knowing this was going to be read by many people who probably might be surprised to learn that you felt like an imposter because you seem so confident on on camera? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like when, when you were writing it were you doing like oh my gosh I can't believe I'm like did you become oh, yeah. I'm just kidding I'm just kidding that's like the nightmare answer for an interviewer yes <laughs> oh don't worry I won't leave it alone but- no I'm I'm just saying that's yes full stop yeah I was yeah. nervous about it I wasn't uh I wasn't certain that it was something I wanted to do 
And I was uh, just two nights ago, I was in a conversation in Chester, a public conversation that was held as a fundraiser for the Chester Playhouse. And I was I was asked that uh, variation of that question. And I admitted that, you know, even even just before the book came out, like I would say from January to April, early April, late April, um, I was in anxiety. I was really having to use all the tools in my toolbox that I write about at, at the back of the book, you know, those doorways to presence to keep myself out of ruminating or worrying about mm-hmm. what was going to happen. And that that largely um, stemmed from having escaped the fishbowl life a long time ago. And I've lived pretty privately uh, with, you know, a few exceptions. I've lived pretty privately in the almost 20 years since I left daily television. Mm. So that was definitely, uh, it was scary, frankly. And, um, and that's how my, or at least that's how my brain was reacting. Like, we've got sure. a problem. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Why are you yeah. doing this? And I, I thought I had gotten over that when I made the decision. Uh, the, the book I pitched to Nimbus Publishing was actually a book about the fear of public speaking, which, as you know, is one of the things I do professionally, uh, coaching clients who are have sage fright or, you know, or at mm-hmm. all afraid of, of getting up in the spotlight. And I was really pitching a business book that would be subversively soulful because my way of looking at the fear of public speaking is I can give you tips and tricks to make your delivery better and to help make you a little more comfortable on stage. But you've really got to, in order to get comfortable on stage, drill down to see what is beneath. And I know you know this from your coaching. Mm. As you said, you know, a lot of people go through this same kind of insecurity and imposter syndrome. For me, the fear of public speaking is really the fear of public being. And Mm. beneath that, the fear of being seen. And beneath that, the fear of being seen as inadequate. And then you dig beneath that, and it's our fear... And this is, I think, a human, just a very human, a general human reaction, our fear of the fact that we really are inadequate and we don't want anyone to know. And Mm. that's what you've got to address. And this whole book was my literal dig into that subject for myself and in my own life, because I had been struggling with anxiety and and some mild depression. I was, as you know, I was hesitant to ever use that uh, word to describe what I was going through because I compared myself to others. Mm. But I, uh, I really had to figure out what it was I didn't like about myself. Everyone says when you step on stage, just be yourself. But mm. that's actually the hardest thing for most human beings to do. Yeah. And a big part of that for me and what I'm discovering is that a lot of people are saying, yeah, I have this experience. A big part of it for me was that if you don't like yourself, how can you just be yourself? Whether it's on stage in a spotlight or in an interview or at a cocktail party. Mm. So I had to figure out what it was I didn't like about myself in order to get to a place where I could find a greater level of self-acceptance 
and move forward from there and actually learn to like myself and accept all parts of myself. Hmm. So was the, I want to say, why did you ultimately write this book? But as I'm hearing you speak, as so many authors, I've heard Elizabeth Gilbert say this, you know, me search is research. Did you already know yourself and you ultimately just put it down in a book or did you figure it out as you were writing it? Dana, I'm going to I'm going to say exactly what Oprah Winfrey said to me. Hell no, Dana. <laughs> she said, hell no, Nance. When I asked her, we'll talk about that later. There's a tease. But um, no, I learned a lot. I thought I knew what I was going to write about. And then, of course, Nimbus said, we think there's a deeper book here. Your, your writing is, you know, on a more soulful level. What if we dig deeper and drop the fear of public speaking and just talk about you, your relationship with fear? And that immediately threw me into fear because I said, uh, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I can't talk about fear <laughs> on its right. own and so on. And what they basically pointed out in my way of thinking is that I was hiding parts of myself behind the podium. If you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. I I'm, I wanted to say to you right now, I think I'm wondering if you wanted to write the book about public speaking because you could still hide behind that versus actually share why. You, you know, said it, it, soul sister. You know, let's let's go on this path because it's it's safer. Yeah. And I was going to certainly yeah. share parts of my own story, yeah. but to actually turn the focus on me was was and and make it a memoir that was uh, a lot more uh intimidating <laughs> and intense for sure i have i have said dana uh this has been this book and this really answers your question did i understand myself beforehand or was it in the process this book has been my greatest therapy i've ever done in my life like incredible the learning i got and i would recommend to your listeners whether they have any intention of ever letting anyone read it or not, to do this kind of a process and just start, you know, journal writing and and think about think about different parts of your life or little milestones in your life where you backed away from being your true self or put on a mask. Mm -hmm. And I, I think what I I am going to do. I had a I had a, a woman yesterday say. I really hope you're going to do a workbook to go with this. Yeah. And, and I loved that she said that because it has been, you know, sort of tickling my brain a little bit, that idea. And I've heard it from a few people recently. And so I think that will be the next thing I do before I tackle a new book. Mm. Because so many people, Dana, are saying, oh, my gosh. Like, how are you doing this? You're writing my life. You're writing my story. Yeah. And it's like you've looked into my brain and you're describing what I've gone through. I, I heard from a woman, a businesswoman last week who is dynamic and popular. You know, everyone seems to know her. She knows everyone. She is seemingly very confident. And she reached out to say, and it makes me emotional when I say this, she said, I'm reading your book, but every once in a while, I have to put it down because I'm crying and I have to give myself time for my eyes to clear so I can see again. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, it's because I have had a sense of deep inadequacy since grade seven. 
And this book is the first time I've ever felt like I wasn't alone. So when you said at the beginning of our conversation, <laughs> you know, it makes us feel like we're not alone. Uh, that just fills my heart. I'm like yeah. the Grinch, you know, my heart grows a few sizes when I hear that, because for me, this book is so much about, it's not about oversharing. <laughs> it's about, it's about being willing to be vulnerable in order to help others see themselves in my story. Yeah. And it's, it's a working and I'm so, so grateful for that. You say on page a hundred that sharing this book is inconceivable, but now it is shockingly liberating. How has it helped liberate you? Oh yeah. The idea. So I think I write that the <laughs> idea of sharing in this way would have been inconceivable <laughs> to me before. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's liberated me in a way that I could not have expected. I did get an inkling a few months ago. I think when it went to print, I had a real mixture of emotions. And one of them was fear, but another was, well, you know what? It's all out on the table now. And it's like, once you've walked out naked in public, uh, you don't then have to worry about, oh, you know, people are going to know that my thighs are this or my, <laughs> my shoulders are slumped or whatever. Um, it's all out there. And I feel like uh, there's a real sense of liberation in truly showing up. And that's what I've done in the book. But I think that's true as I go through my days as well, because I'm doing interviews like this and events and book signings and and I'm I'm kind of running to keep up with it all, but I do not feel depleted because I'm not doing any of it wearing a mask or pretending. Mm -hmm. I am just showing up. And even today, as you know, I at uh, four minutes before our appointment time, I was scrambling. I thought, oh my gosh, I better ask Dana, are we using video for this conversation? Because I hit the ground running this morning. I am dressed, but I have bedhead. And, you know, I, I thought, oh, gosh, if she wants to use the video from this, I might need to throw on a little makeup. <laughs> and then as soon as I sent you that message, I, I realized, no, this is about showing up. So if I show up with bedhead, that's okay. That's okay. And that's sort yeah. of the approach I'm taking to all these conversations. And my reward is that I am meeting other people who are bringing that same kind of authenticity and and presence to conversations. And that's such a joy. Mm. You, you talk about, you know, living in a dark hole and you try to convince yourself early on, you know, that everything was fine, you know, perfect, perfect life, trying to be the, the right mother and the, the right this and the right that. And but that and you, you already refer to, you know, putting on masks and you, you say in the book that you became uh, really addicted to approval. And you can you take us through your life and we begin to understand why that is so. But can you share a little bit about some of the highlights around how did you get addicted to approval early on? Because I think that's very relatable. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the human condition to some extent. And mm -hmm. and while some people are fortunate enough to escape that, uh, a lot of people fall into that hole that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think that has uh, to do with what I call my dimmer theory. Um, 
I believe that we are all born full of light. And you only have to look at uh, toddlers and babies to see that, you know, they have no compunction about letting everybody know exactly how they feel. If they're happy, they squeal, they might scream, they might scream if they're unhappy as well. And there's no filter that is caused by a concern about meeting other people's expectations or or getting positive feedback. None of that matters because their light is up full. Mm. And when the world tells us to behave, be quiet, be good, I think it dims our light a little bit because we say, oh, we're not supposed to shine quite that brightly. And we we change who we are and how we are incrementally because of messages we get from our parents, from our teachers, from the world in general. And we we shrink, we shrink our light so that, you know, it's not it's not offensive to anyone and we don't we don't uh, get in trouble. And even if that light is just noise of pure fun, we shrink it all. And then when we get to be teenagers, of course, we want to be under the radar. We don't want anyone to really see our light if we even realize we still have it. And we turn it, we let others through bullying perhaps or or ridicule or other means um, turn down our light and we turn our own down. And when I was a kid, I had this dimmer switch uh, in our family home, which was a dial. And you could turn the light down that way and you could go all the way to the bottom and then it would click. But before it would click, you could look up at the lights and they were already, they already appeared to be out. So when, when I worked with Wayne Dyer on his tour, I am light. And it really started to reignite my own fire within or my light and connect me to it. I was driving home from his Moncton show after having um, introduced him on stage and so on. And that was such a thrill. Um, and I was thinking about that metaphor of light. And I've always been so metaphor driven, as you know, if you've read my book now. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, I thought of that little dial, that switch in our family living room when I was a kid. And I thought, I have had my own dimmer switch turned down for so long, I forgot I had a light within. Mm-hmm. And I had been in a profession where people were always shining a spotlight on me and telling me I was bright and shiny, but I didn't feel my own light. Mm. And the journey that I write about in this book is really, for me, about turning up that dimmer light and re um, reconnecting, reacquainting myself to my own light and, and believing that uh, I was worthy of shining. And, mm. and a beautiful thing about that is, you know, I, I say in the book, I think that the worst insult in junior high was, oh, she's full of herself or she's, she's so conceited or he's conceited, you know, that's what kids would say to, to really take someone down. I believe we should be full of ourselves. I think we should be full of our own light. And, and when we are, we are not egotistical. We're not in our ego because we're connected to something within. And I think something 
bigger than ourselves and we connect in a different way to others. So when I feel my own light, I can recognize and celebrate the light in others in a profoundly different way than I ever could before because I felt jealousy or envy because I, I was in a sense of scarcity because I didn't feel my own light. Mm. So I do, I do tend to take that <laughs> light metaphor probably too far, but it's so, it's so strong and meaningful in my yeah. life and it has been so helpful that I can't resist sharing it. No, it, it, it's a, it's a really great analogy um, to, to, to demonstrate that because it's true, we tend to dim our light. And it's funny, when I was reading uh, your book, I guess the thought that came to me is that it sounded like you were losing the real you before you even knew who that was. Because when you talk about this perfection, you know, for the cameras, for the voters, people don't realize your, your father was the premier for Nova Scotia for most of your childhood. And you said there was a history of getting attention and approval. You were in a family of six kids, right? You had to compete for attention. As you grew and your body changed, you know, you saw the attention from males differently. When you were a good speaker, you lit up with attention. You know, you started photobombing pictures. And then you said you started seeking the spotlight, you know, through acting and basketball, doing all these things. These are all things I think people can relate to. And what I felt is, is that you, it was because you didn't know the real you or you weren't able to see um, your light. And I know you write that, you know, uh, the book helped you make peace with the past or, you know, going through that process. H have you been able to make peace with perfectionism, with approval? Like what's your relationship to it now? I really have. I, I am pleasantly surprised even in this book journey. And I wrote, I wrote a newsletter to my subscribers uh, last week saying that I had had a really amazing week the week before, you know, the, from that, that time previously. And part of it was that um, my book within two weeks of release landed on the national bestseller list, which totally, you know, knocked me off my feet, frankly. Uh, but, and I, and I owe a lot to maritime readers and, and um, people who were so kind as to buy my book, because I know that my profile in this region certainly helped or, or actually drove that, not even helped, it drove that. Um, but my, my note to my subscribers was that I'd been thinking a lot about popularity and purpose. And it meant much more to me that I was hearing from individual people that the book was really landing for them in an emotional and important way, that it was making them feel not alone, that it was making them look at their own life and say, oh, this is how this shows up for me, or this is how I can relate to that in my childhood, and literally unlocking doors within themselves. That to me, Dana, you can hear it in the emotion that rises within me. And you know, I'm comfortable with emotion. But that is way more meaningful than ending up on the bestseller list. And I, I that sounds like something you might say to be humble. But it's so it's so true. It's, you know, it's lovely the to be on the bestseller list. But the impact that's not where the impact is. The impact is in individuals. The one reason I'm excited about the bestseller list is because 
it means that it will hopefully get to more individuals who will then have a meaningful experience with the content. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, and I agree. And as I said, at the top of the, the conversation about you, you are the message of you are not alone. And I think when we see people like yourselves who have been a very public and popular figure and looks extremely confident. And I always say, you never know what people are dealing with. And so many of us are dealing with a similar thing that these insecurities or, you know, where we think we're inadequate and by you being vulnerable it's giving us permission to do the same, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, and you talk a lot about masks, you know, dropping the masks. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But when did you become aware that there was even a mask? Like, obviously, when you were younger and you were doing all these things uh, to get attention, you know, it was, you, 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 it's like you're trying to figure out who you were. But do you remember when you started to realize, oh, I am not that thing, the ego? <sighs> Yeah, well, the moment that springs immediately to mind is a scene that I write about in the book. And I'm not sure that I realized that I had a mask on then, but it it really started me down this path. And it was at the women's, um, I think it's called the Women's Resource, oh, I've forgotten what it's called. Anyway, it's a, it's a beautiful old building on the corner of Young Avenue and Inglis on in Halifax. And it's, um, it's the site of a reception that was very memorable to me. So it was a charity tea for an organization called Dress for Success. Mm-hmm. And it was a, you know, a well healed crowd, <laughs> figuratively and literally, because they all, you know, we were dressed in our high heels and our fabulous suits and dresses and and it was uh, the intent was to make a lot of money for this charity, which is great. Um, but I had an experience at that particular tea when I had gone with a small group of women or met them there. And we were chatting near the end of the tea. And someone said, why don't we go and do something else after the tea together and maybe get together for dinner or something like that? And um my friend Sandy, who has given me permission to use her name in the book, um, she said at the time, she looked at us and she said, no, you know what? I'm really struggling in my marriage right now. And I really think I just need to go home. I, I don't feel that that's the right option for me. I just need to go home. And it was for me, that might not sound like a big deal for a lot of people listening, But for me, it was like the world came to a screeching stop because, first of all, we were we were still pretty young, you know, maybe uh, early 30s. And our group of friends did not have that level of authentic dialogue. We were all wearing little masks. And for her to speak so vulnerably and openly about her marriage um, in front of us, but also in a room where, you know, there were lots of other women who could have heard her say it. To me, that was a revolutionary act. Mm-hmm. And and just just hearing me say that, if, if you have never worn a mask, you might think, well, that's crazy. How can you call that revolutionary? But if you know the kind of mask that we wear socially, then I think you understand that that was that really took me aback. 
but it also shone a light on a path that I didn't know was there. It was like, what? You can be that honest? <laughs> right. You can you can be that you can show oh, that yeah. much in front of other people and not worry about their judgment and and you know them talking about you afterwards and people knowing that your marriage is not happy, all of that stuff. And in that moment, I feel like she changed my trajectory. And I, I really believe that that was the start of a, a different path for me. And it led to me eventually leaving my position on Live at Five. And that was hard, Dana. We talked about that, I think, last time, because yeah. people, people could not understand why you would leave a high-profile, successful job. And I just knew it was time for me to make a change. And I needed to be, I was wearing too much of a mask on TV. And I needed to go in the direction of authenticity. And once I did that, I um, I got the courage up uh, because it did require a lot of courage to shake my life up even further by leaving my first marriage. And I left the perfect husband. <laughs> you know, for, for the world, our marriage was an example of this perfect marriage, perfect life, perfect kids. And I did have a fantastic husband, for the record. And I, I speak of him in glowing terms in the book. And, and that's all very true. And um, I, I, one of the things I say, Dana, in the book, and I had to okay this with him before it went to print, was that he changed my life one day after two years of being uh, apart. And we had both moved on with other relationships. And he said to me one day when he saw me, you know, sort of in self-flagellation or, or feeling the guilt or something. And he said, Nancy, you know what? You need to let go of the guilt. Uh, I know I put it on your shoulders. And I am sorry I did that because now I realize you did the right thing. And I'm, you know, you just need to let go of the guilt. He said, I wouldn't have left the marriage, but I'm glad that you made the decision you did now and and shook up our lives. And that was Dana. That was like, that was a profound moment in my life because I had been, I had been walking through my days with so much guilt heaped on my shoulders. So, so yeah, I forget what, I, what question I was answering now, but I was asking about the point of when you actually became aware, yes, yes, that, you right. know, and so you were able and by, and that was evident in the book as well, when you're talking about that, that, um, that people can actually show up in that way and you could feel the crack the light setting in that there could be an alternate way to live that you don't have to hide behind a mask. And you talk a lot about that. There really were many points in your life where you were being called to drop the mask, whether it was in parenting or motherhood or celebrity interviews. And you share one of your inter in moments, uh, a particular interview with Mel Gibson that taught you about authenticity or showed you the power of it. And 
you dropped, you said you dropped your mask momentarily when you're going to interview him, <laughs> admitting to him that you were actually nervous. And when he asked you how you were, and then, so he actually started acting goofy to put you at ease. And um, so you could see these glimpses of opportunities where you didn't have to hold up this stiff mask to pretend you were somebody else. So what have you learned about the power of authenticity? Well, first, because I'm used to conducting the interview, I immediately want to twist your question and answer <laughs> an, a, another question first, okay, to lay the groundwork. Um, first, what I would say is what I have learned from interviewing a lot of famous people, and including and especially Mel Gibson, probably, is that we are all the same. And when I do a keynote, uh, I have a couple of keynotes where I use this particular little video slideshow where it's all, it's just, you know, a minute of, of all the famous faces that I have interviewed and it's impactful for people. They're like, what? And yet I say at the end, this is, this is face dropping, not name dropping, but I'm, I'm showing you this not to impress you, but to impress upon you a point that we are all the same and we all, you know, no matter how much celebrity someone has or how much money, we all have the same human experience. Most of us have that deep sense of inadequacy that if we haven't dealt with yet, it comes looking for us or it's, or it, or it doesn't come looking for us. It's just messing up our lives and we don't know that's what it, you know, that's what's at the root of our issues. And, and I've seen even Mel Gibson's a great example because that was when, when I walked into that junket room in the Four Seasons Beverly Hills in, in uh, California, I was really nervous and I was, and you have a very short period of time when you sit down to do an interview with the star in that junket environment, you really just have enough time to say hello as you're sitting down, pinning on the mic, they're pinning on the microphone. And then very shortly thereafter, the cameras are set and they say, we've got speed and you just start your interview and you've only got four or five minutes usually. And this was for the movie Braveheart and he was the star, the producer, and the director of that film. And it just felt like such an important moment. And if I screwed it up, I was going to come back to Halifax with, with a tape that was, you know, useless. And, and everyone, everyone was so excited about me interviewing him. And as I said to my friend from Paramount, he was Mel Gibson. <laughs> I, I, um, had loved him in Lethal Weapon, and and I really, you know, had him up on a pedestal. As we now know, look, as we now know, looking back, uh, he has demonstrated publicly that he's all sorts of issues that he mm -hmm. has had to deal with in his own life. And in that one moment, when I was some for some strange reason honest enough to say, I'm a little nervous in in response to his asking how I was. He just looked at me and he said, you're nervous of talking to me? <laughs> and I've read about his insecurities since. And he looked at me and said, look, and he put his fingers in his mouth and he made the strangest, you know, face and he started going, ah. and then he, and then he stopped after about 15 seconds and said, there, do you feel better? 
And I, I did, it was like he had taken all the air out of the balloon, like, and all mm -hmm. of a sudden it was just two human beings sitting across from one another. And what I would like to do with this book is to have people have that reaction to other people, like to rather mm -hmm. than feeling intimidated or, or keep them up on a pedestal or threatened by them, I want people to go, oh, this is just another human being. And, and in terms of business, you know, you, you focus on leadership. That changes so much about how we go about our business lives, our professional lives. Because all of a sudden, if we are willing to put ourselves on a level playing field with everybody else, no matter what their achievements or their money or their um, profile, then we have this secret power. It's like, this is our secret weapon. If we can have that it truly is. inner confidence of feeling our own light. And, and, you know, in yoga, they say, namaste, my, the light in me recognizes and honors the light in you. If we feel our own light, we can then recognize and, and be excited about the light in others, but not be, not feel like we're in darkness in comparison to their light. But yeah. just say, all right, let's, you know, let's see what we can, what kind of magic can we create in the world, whether it's, it's in a professional way or philanthropic or just, you know, personally one-on-one -on -one with people. Hmm. And, and when you think about those moments that you had with Mel Gibson, where he actually, you know, started acting goofy and you felt it actually helped you slip into yourself a little bit more, that, that authentic space. Um, what does it do for you as a person when you're allowed and you embrace your own authenticity? It allows me to go into any situation without being nervous, without it, it takes, it takes the anxiety that I walk through life with mm -hmm. and turns the volume way down on it. Now, the reason I call the section at the end doorways to presence is because it's a practice and I am not saying, and I hope you got this from the book, Dana, I am not saying, look, I've got it all figured out. <laughs> Follow me. No, I'm, no, I didn't get that. Cause at the very end of the book, you say to be continued. And I feel like everything is to be continued. Right. You know? And that's what I was saying. This yeah. practice that I'm talking about is to be continued because Sure, you know, I absolutely still will feel that sense of anxiety or or rush of fear about things or if I'm about to do a big interview or a, a stage presentation. But the trick is that now I have a self-awareness about it and I and I'm not afraid of it and I recognize it and I treat it with compassion. It's like treating my you know, my reaction with compassion. So I go, okay, I see you. As you know, I personify my fear and I I shrink it in that moment from an alligator to a gecko. <laughs> yes. You said one of, you know, and I think this, what you're referring to here is so linked to authenticity, but you say you have found many forms of healing, but by far presence is the most powerful. And presence is very linked to authenticity because I feel like when you're your most authentic self, you're actually present, you know, you're talking yeah. about showing up. So how, how has 
presence been the most powerful form of healing for you? Well, it takes me out of worry and rumination. And, you know, rumination is in the past. If I'm if I'm ruminating about something that's already happened, I am in the past. And if I'm worrying, uh, I'm in the future. And if I bring myself into the present moment, I'm fine. And if I'm on stage, so this is the work I do with clients, Dana, I, you know, I say, I don't want you to present. I want you to present when you're on stage. Mm -hmm. I want you to be present because as long as you're in your, that spinning uh, fear in your head, like, am I being well received? Do they like me? You are not really showing up in the moment. You are distracted. And if if you compare it to a, a first date, if you're with someone who clearly is sitting across the table from you at dinner and has this whole inner dialogue going, you can't make a connection. You can't, you know, it's like not plugging in a light. It's like you're trying to turn on a light, but there's no, there's no electricity. You need to make a connection before you can really convey and convince. Mm. Um, you know, there's a great... There's a great author who writes about that. That's the, what you really need to do on stage. Connect, convey, convince. And I'm losing her name right now. But if you look that up, you'll find it. Anyway, um, you need to make that connection. And the best thing to do on stage is to really make sure you're absolutely present. The way I believe is the most powerful is to shift gears from focusing on your performance, which is how everybody's judging you and how you're mm -hmm. doing to your contribution. What are you giving? What are you sharing? How are you contributing to your audience? And for me, that, you know, makes a, a huge difference and, and enables me to stay present. Mm. Yeah. Those are good points. I like that. You're not presenting, you're being present. Yeah. Don't present, be present. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to get the syllable on the right. Yeah, I say don't, don't, <laughs> don't present. I want you to get up there and present. Present, right. Yes, <laughs> present. That, that, that's a great way to look at it. And then you know what? To play on words, which you know I like to do, then what you're giving the audience is a gift. You're giving them a present. Yeah. The, the gift of your presence. Yeah. And if we only saw that more, that we're actually, you know, we, we are actually sharing our gifts and we're always so worried about being judged and so on. But when we get in that present space, you know, there is a level of vulnerability. And I think it's, you have to practice being present because when you're on stage, you have all these eyes looking at you, you're thinking, okay, it's go time. They're, they're waiting to hear what I have to share. Yeah. And evolutionarily, I always laugh about this, but evolutionarily, if you have, if you're standing there alone, singled out, and there are all those pairs of eyes on you, you know, you, there's probably some primitive level that's saying, I'm in trouble. I'm about yeah, to well, die. It's a trigger, right? Yeah. It's probably a trigger to yes. some degree. <laughs> I think so. I really yeah. do. There's a, there's a beautiful book by uh, Dr. Seuss called I Had Trouble in Getting to Solo Salu. And it's about this little character's journey from his hometown where he started to have some problems. And he thought, I'm getting out of here. I don't want to have problems. And he's moved, he's he's on this journey toward this place where there are no problems at all, or at least very few. And that rhymes, of course, with Solo Salu. And um, along the way, he encounters this situation where he is standing and he's got this one little pea shooter. He's been deserted by this crowd that he's with. And he's surrounded by these animals called poosers. 
and they're all looking at him looking like they're, you know, going to have a, a great feast. And that one illustration for me is, is really powerful. And I often show it to clients because I say, this is how we all feel when we step on stage or, mm. or, you know, how most of us feel when we step on stage, like, ah, like there's impending doom in a way. <laughs> yes, and true. once you can get past that, the stage can really be a playground for you. And, and that's, I have to say, that's how I felt uh, just this past weekend. I was at an event at uh, the beautiful Digby Pines in Nova Scotia, mm -hmm. and it was an author and reader event called For the Love of Books. And three authors, I, as I joked to a friend on the way down, two real authors and me were, were giving presentations during the weekend. And it yes. was, you know, there was social time as well. But I spoke for an hour and a half and I resisted all temptation to prepare anything ahead of time. And I literally went into it saying, I am just going to show up. And I did some reading from my book, but Apart from that, I really had not prepared anything and it felt great. And the audience was leaning in because what I was talking about was something they could relate to. And I yeah. knew I was sharing something that was meaningful and that, you know, hopefully could help them. And Dana, that, you know, that's what I believe we're here for. I believe we're here to make contributions to the world around us and to be of help, of, ser of service. You do that in so many ways in what you do professionally, and I'm sure personally as well. And I just, I just get excited about seeing people who are willing to shine their light in the interest of contributing to the world. Mm, so thank so you. True. Yeah. And thank you. I mean, you, you do so much. And I think you're right by, by practicing this presence, you know, not preparing, you come and show up, you just being yourself and people appreciate that. And, you know, you, we've been talking about masks and you talk about in the book that you had been procrastinating, getting rid of the mask and, you know, but it was time to do something about it. How did you know it was time to get rid of the mask or to at least start dropping them more frequently? What was happening that came sort of push came to shove that I've got to do something differently or live differently? Well, I, your language is interesting because I think life pushes us and, and often shoves us. Um, and crises in our lives are, uh, while they're challenging and often uh, horrible or even horrific to go through, they're also an invitation to, to move into a different way of being and to look at our life and ourselves in a more deep way. And grief is a tunnel for a lot of people, I think. Um, I, have a, I have a friend, David McGinley, who is a brilliant author. He's working on a new book, but his first book, Beyond, Beyond Surviving, uh, tell, talks about not only his work as a cancer chaplain, but also his um, near-death experience and his own, you know, uh, approach to life. And he is a guy who is just so rooted in helping others and walking them through the darkest times. Um, but he says when he's with people who are dying and who actually die, like 
he advised me when I was with Audrey and I've been with, uh, unfortunately, too many other people in death. Um, he said, when we are with someone in the room, when they die, we die as well. Mm. And what he means by that is that, you know, we, we, it's almost like we shed a skin. It's, it, it takes us to a whole new level of, or invites us to a new level of authenticity because we, we, understand at a soul level that so much of the trappings of life are just ridiculous, you know, and we, yeah. we figure out, Oh, okay. As the book says, don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. It wakes us up. It wakes know? us up. Even temporarily, you know, if you've attended a funeral, it makes you, you go, oh, right. I got to yes. do this better. Oh my gosh, that is so, I love that you say that because I always say it's so amazing how a good funeral, and I use that, I use that phrase advisedly, can serve to, to spark our fire, like reignite our fire because we go, oh my gosh, yeah, of course. What am I, what, I've been sleepwalking through life, but I believe that's what we do. And that's why we need practices of presence because even the most enlightened teachers who I've followed often say, you know, of course I go back into the falling asleep, uh, the, the sleepwalking sure. through life. And you, the practice is to continually catch yourself and reawaken and say, oh yeah, no, that stuff doesn't matter. And no, I don't want to live with a mask. And right. here's what's important. And then, and then you're back and planted in the moment again. And I, I'm so grateful to the many teachers that I have had who've, who've written books like mine in that they've been very open and authentic and they've allowed me to see myself in their authentic telling of their own tale. And that's yeah. helped me. It's like I said about Sandy, you know, they, they shine a path, a light on the path that you didn't know was there. Yeah. And if I, if I can do that in this book, I, I want to be a seeker. So I want to be perceived as readers, as a seeker who's saying, come on, now look at this. <laughs> what do you think of this? <laughs> and I, had a, I had a woman write a, a beautiful review on Amazon and she posted it on Facebook. And before she posted it on Facebook, I had no idea who she was. I had never met her. And she said that reading my book felt like walking arm in arm with me through a garden, talking about really meaningful things in life. Mm -hmm. And that touched my heart so profoundly, Dana. That was like, oh my gosh. I bet. I didn't, I wouldn't have put it in those words, but that was like exactly what I wanted for my book. I didn't want it to be preaching. I didn't want my reader to perceive me as a teacher. I wanted them to see me as a fellow seeker. Mm. So yeah, that was, yeah, lovely. I get that. And, and, and I think that's what we want. We want meaningful conversation. We want meaningful connection and vulnerability and authenticity allows us to do that. And I'm glad you mentioned the word seeker. Cause that's where I'm going next. Huh, you're welcome. You there you go. <laughs> Thank you. You think we planned this, this but this is, isn't this the way when you Divine really allow timing. things, when you allow things to flow organically, yeah, it, it blossoms pretty perfectly. Like a flower doesn't control how it blossoms. It just blossoms. 
It's true. So let's blossom into seeking. <laughs> because you, you talk about spirituality late in the book. And it seems to me like all roads tend to, you know, end there. roads of discovery, and what you're referring to seeking. And what do you think we're seeking when we say we call ourselves being a seeker? I, I think we're looking for the meaning of it all. I think we're trying to figure out what this crazy thing called life is all about. Yeah. Why are we here? And um, and what is the meaning of our lives? And I think as we age, uh, you know, a lot of us get called to that to that path to figure that out as we age because we we start to get a sense. Oh, yeah, we're not going to be here forever. Yeah. This is not. This is not an infinite that's rehearsal <laughs> yeah there's, yeah that's a, there's, that's right exactly life is not a dress rehearsal and and although i i will say that often i'll see things that say you only live once and i think i don't really believe that <laughs> <laughs> yeah really it just we just mean this time <laughs> yes exactly exactly um but i i think it's really about figuring out why we're here and and you know, it goes back to my comment about contribution. For me, I think being of service and and following a purpose gives my life so much meaning. And it um, it also gets me out of my own way because then I'm not worrying about how people see me and, and uh, if I'm getting approval. So yeah. I, I think that's really important. And it was something that uh, I think I probably said this the first time we talked in in episode 68 as you said so good memory <laughs> specifically no you said it at the beginning of this I was like oh, good to remember, remember that at the beginning 68. Um, Oprah when I interviewed her in Chicago and I asked her if she felt guilty having so much money mm. because of course she comes from very humble beginnings and very very uh, challenging beginnings and she said hell no Nance there you go I, I I, did, I I speak in a circuitous way, but I eventually get back around get back to, to, uh, to that little tease from earlier. She said, hell no, Nance. <laughs> and I cracked up. She was always calling me Nance. And only my closest friends really call me Nance. So I always think it was so wonderful that she right away started calling me yeah. that. Well, she's so comfortable in her own skin. And it allows you, it it feels friendly and, and it, it, it allows you to drop the mask. That's it. Right. And you that's, realize, and that's oh, what she did. Holding up her guard. Yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like Mel Gibson helped me a yeah. lot in that interview because it was just six, six months after I had had that interview with Mel Gibson. Um, but Oprah also helped me immensely by making me feel comfortable. And yeah. what she said after she said, hell no, Nance, she said, you know, I don't understand if people earn the money, if you really earned it, why would you feel guilty about it? But she did say, I do, however, feel like you can have too much stuff. And she then went on to uh, talk about the shoe sale that she does every year or used to do every year and where she'd sell her own shoes to her staff. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and then she got around to saying, I also believe from those to whom much is given, much is expected. Absolutely. And that... That one sentence has literally 
stayed with me and surfaced for me almost every day since. And that was, really? you know, that was a long time ago. That was probably almost well, it's a terrific years it's ago. A proverb, I think, from the Bible, uh, ultimately. It is. It's a biblical and, reference. And it's a really good one. I, I actually, this that's something that I tell my kids. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just as a reminder, you know, I don't know if it's doing much now, but maybe you can call it planting a seed for when they're, they're older, you know, and as they think about their own lives. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's actually Dana. I think that's a a pure purpose in parenting. And I often joke with my daughter, who's my youngest um, and the last one at home. I say, you know, my job as your parent is not to do everything for you. My job is to make sure you're ready to do everything for yourself when you leave. Yeah. And I really believe that instilling kids with a sense of, of um, responsibility socially yeah. is probably our most important role as a parent. You know, you've got to wow. make sure they're ready to, to survive in the world. But after that survival level, you want them to thrive. And a big part of thriving for me in a soul way and also just socially is to really make sure that you are contributing. You're giving back. You are making the world a better place than you find it in some, even in a tiny way, even if it's just smiling at the the clerk at the corner store who was always cranky, you know, and maybe chipping away at their armor. Who knows? It's so true because I feel like a greater responsibility now, uh, you know, as a parent, I have old, you know, my children are young adults now, but um, I feel like even there's more responsibility to help them see their greater connection to the world. And I know for me, spirituality is the, you know, connection is the world word that comes up for me, connection to myself, mm-hmm. connection to God, connection to other people. And I, I think you say, you know, if you're going to reveal yourself, spirituality must be a part of it. You know, what is spirituality to you now? I am going to, I'm going to back up a second though, and be really honest. I'm going to show up about this because I was really wrestling. It wasn't like, oh yes, of course, I'm going to show up and I'm going to reveal everything. I'm going to talk about my spirituality. I was like, what? like in the book, you mean? Yeah. yeah no, I mean, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't like that. It was, no. it was uh, wrestling for months with how much do I reveal about my spirituality? Because I don't want anyone to go, what? Say what? I, I know. Or I, I didn't buy this book to I talk about. To. Yeah, right. I don't. I didn't. I didn't buy this book to talk about spirituality, and and I didn't want to give people a reason to lean out uh, when I'm talking to to clients yeah. about speaking. I always say, with everything you say, you give the opportunity to your audience to lean in or to lean out. And you want to make sure that you're keeping them connected and you're staying connected. And I was afraid to lose people if I revealed that part of myself. And then one night at uh, my cottage when I was there by myself writing. So I'm sitting there by the fire and I talked about the download and and it was like, of course, I'm writing a book about showing up. Of course, I have to reveal, you know, what my relationship to spirituality is. And in that moment, it was just like a a switch flipped. And I also think that goes to the sense of liberation in putting this book out, because it's the funniest thing, you know, if you if you look at at uh, surveys and, and statistics, people across North America 
a huge percentage uh, are, you know, have some level of spirituality in their life, believe there's some force bigger than them, basically. And, and yet we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it when we're at networking events or we don't, you know, even, oh. even socially, um, people don't really reveal that part of themselves. It's like this sort of secret part that we keep hidden away. And so it was pretty liberating for me to write that section. And as you know, I, I also realized as I was writing it, I thought, oh, I have an idea. And I asked my editor and she agreed. She thought it was great. And, and the idea was I wanted to say, so here's what this section is about. But if this is not your jam, so to speak, you know, if this isn't your thing, just skip ahead. Like, I totally give you my permission. Skip yeah. this part and go on to the doorways to presence because it's not going to appeal to everyone. And I have had even a couple close friends who said, I love the book. I did kind of skip through that part of it. Really? <laughs> and yeah. I, and I, I, you know, it cracked me up. And that's, I, I love the fact that I, I do have lots of friends who are at different levels yeah. of relationships. Yeah. 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 For sure. So yeah. that's, that's my answer. And what does yeah. spirituality mean to me? It, uh, it really, grounds me in my sense of purpose. It grounds me and it lifts me. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, so maybe it, it's, oh, I get okay. That. So I get that. Yeah, I'm going to tell you about this. <laughs> this is the image that comes to me as soon as I say that. Um, when you're in yoga, you know, or in a retreat, sometimes they'll say, okay, uh, you're standing there, really sink your roots into the ground. Imagine your roots sinking down into the earth, maybe even, uh, reaching down so far that they wrap around the core of the earth. And then also picture yourself growing as tall as possible. And I think of it now, as I say this, where your tree is growing as tall as it can, because you're grounded. And that's what spirituality does for me. It grounds me and it lifts me. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for asking that because I've never thought of it in exactly that way. And that's the beautiful thing, Dana, about authentic conversation. It right. brings, it sparks, like it's like flint, right? Sparks yeah. new ideas. And, and when we can get out of our way and really get into a creative collaboration that is authentic, watch out, sister. Well, and, and this is what happens, as you said, when we have authentic conversations, because we can be ourselves and we can talk about the things that really matter. And just as that idea came out for you, things get born in those conversations. And I think more people than not are seeking um, that kind of deep connection. And for some people, the word spirituality might make them a little bit unsettled or unnervous because they think religion or they're not sure what to think because they really haven't thought about it. And I've had the same sort of um, experience as you had. I mean, even the name of this podcast, mm -hmm. I do work inside corporations. I also do, you know, personal work with people. But I thought, oh, my gosh, you're going to call something Soul Sister. What are they going to think? Of yeah. Me? Oh, I had the you same have, experience had with all the Soul Booth. Things. Yeah. yeah well, yes, the Soul Booth. I mean, even my book, you know, when I talk about soul prescriptions, I remember being so nervous releasing that to the world thinking, 
um, that what are people going to think? They're going to think that I'm uh, religious or I'm I'm going off on another path. Like I was I'm really having like a, you know, panic about it. <laughs> and what I found, though, was that people would pull me aside quietly and kind of say me too. Yes. It was a different kind of me too. Yes. Movement, yeah. Um, that they were like uh, closet uh, seekers that were still in the closet and were was they were delighted to be able to say to somebody, I think that way too. And I think it's more important to talk about those kinds of things. Could you then, you find your people, you find your audience, you find right. people who want to talk about that. And boy, I've had some of the richest conversations when we're talking about quote unquote spirituality. Right. And and Dana, yeah. you know what? I so applaud you for that. And I, I, you're telling my story now because that's how I felt about the soul booth. It was, there was part of me that was excited to move into that. And part of me that was like, oh, I don't know. And I, I remember saying to my friend, Anne Berube, who I know has been a guest on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, yeah, well, I don't want to get too spiritual because I don't want to lose people. And she said, no, Nancy, that's not how it works. You need to just speak your truth and yeah. you need to be authentic. And then the, the, you will lose people but there are other people waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, and, and probably more, right? Yes. Like yeah. it's kind of this, it's this fine tuning. And and anytime I have this feeling of, oh, I shouldn't or hold back, that's the thing I know I should do. <laughs> right, um, right. May know, I say something yeah. about that yeah. in terms of business though, Dana? You know, yeah. Yeah. I think that there is this separation for us to say, okay, well, it's okay to be like this personally, but I can't be like that in a business environment. I am totally trying to break that down. And I, yeah. a presentation that I'm doing these days is called um, Showing Up, the Transformative Power of, tra- of uh, Authenticity. And it is, you know, it's very much both personal and business. And I think of... Um, you know the little kapshka, if I'm saying it right, the little kapshka pictures that yeah, they put up. Yeah, if Recapta, you're trying, I think. Yeah, yeah, okay. You're yeah. trying to get into a website, for instance, yeah. and it makes you pick these pictures to prove that you're a human being. Well, I believe that in any human human interaction, and it doesn't matter if it's if it's personal or professional, if we don't connect. If we don't show the other party that we are a human being, we don't make that true connection. So it's like a little, if you understand my metaphor, there I go again. Uh, It's like, in order to really make meaningful connections in business, I believe you've got to connect authentically. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean you, you know, go into a business meeting in in tears with makeup down your face because you're having a bad morning. I'm not saying that. I know that there are there are masks that we all wear as we go about our lives, but this is different. This is if we're willing to really show up with people, they show up with us. And Absolutely. then what happens is is uh, as Liz Gilbert would say, big magic. Big magic happens. It's true. And I think with this idea of spirituality, it, it, and for me, it's just, again, it's the word connection to myself. So even as a coach, as a person who tries to help people see their own light, it's just getting people comfortable with themselves. And the more present I am by being willing to show who I am, people will say they feel safe with yeah. me uh, because you're creating a space where 
Um, you're not going to hold judgment against something as someone. And I think most of us just want to be seen and heard. And when you can actually, you know, for me as a coach, when I reflect things back to people, I might say, you know, I see that, you know, that holding onto that title is really important to you. Um, but is that who you really are? And, you know, just mm. being able to really address, reflect and address what I'm seeing, it just gives them a space to show up um, and be be willing to be vulnerable because it's hard for people to do. And it's exactly what you're talking about. We have all have masks. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you're so right. When we show up, other people show up. It's like they're hungry for it. And, oh, and that's magnet. right. And that's what I'm experiencing. Like even with the, even with star Cunningham, who used to be star Dobson star yeah. star um, got my job when I left it on live at five. And she was the host of live at five for a long time. And she's now the head of the mental health foundation of Nova Scotia. And she was kind enough to not only read my book, but to give me a quote about it. And also I asked her, I thought she would be just the right person to sit in my host chair on the Canadian love map and interview me because my sponsor was so kind as to say, I think we should do an episode on you and your book. And I was like, "Mm, really? And then she said, no, you choose who you want to, you know, have interview you. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to ask star because When Star read my book, she reached out to me. We had a conversation that was on a different level than we had ever talked in 30 years of knowing one another. We've known each other. We've worked together. We've socialized together. We've never had that kind of honest conversation that was triggered by her reading my book. And it was because I showed up. And she, holy cow, she showed up. And in that episode of the Canadian Love Map, I don't know what number it is, and I'll, I'm like you, um, but it's not hard <laughs> to find because it's just a, a few episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah. She showed up so powerfully because she revealed that, you know, she is, she's at the head of the, uh, the helm of the, Mental Health Foundation of Nova Scotia, and she revealed her own challenges with mental health and the struggles she's had. And it was just, it was breathtaking. It really was. And I'm so grateful for playing in this field. As you, as you know, the, uh, Sonia, as soon as I was started to say that, I thought, oh, I should give you this quote. I start the book with a quote that's really meaningful to me. In fact, I have it uh, on a piece of jewelry. It's, it's written on this piece of jewelry my husband gave me. And it's a Rumi quote. Uh, So the amazing Persian poet who just vomited out such wisdom and truth in his poetry um, from though, sorry, out beyond ideas of right doing and wrongdoing, there is a field. I will meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Thoughts, ideas, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. Now, I kind of massacred it a little bit. And the old perfectionist in me would have been asking you if we could redo it. (laughs) But you know what? That's my answer to your question about my relationship to the perfectionist within. I just say to her, no, it's okay. Like she just spoke up. Oh, you got it wrong. And I just say, no, it's okay. Sit down. It's all right. 
everybody will understand. I got a few words backwards. That was the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. And we got, and, and that's the thing when you're saying something is like, we don't know the difference anyway. <laughs> yes, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> the only person. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We're beating ourselves uh, up about that. But yeah. it's, 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 I always say like when you're willing to live imperfectly, you're starting to live it, you know, yes. you're actually, you know, you're j- just not going through life with all that anxiety and baggage. Uh, about how am I being judged? And it's so heavy. It's like, it's like, can we just put it down? You just took, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. As you started, you were saying that I was just going to say, you feel so much lighter when you let Mm -hmm. that go. Like it's actually shocking how much lighter you feel. And I'm, I am really busy right now, but I don't feel depleted. I feel filled up because I I feel light as I'm going through all of this. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, no wonder. Well, I appreciate you taking time to um, talk to me again today. Uh, I think your book will help lots of people who are on that similar journey of trying to release that old imposter syndrome and feeling like we're not good enough. Um, is there anything you want to say about your book or what's going on around it that I haven't asked you about? As I know you have some book signings coming up. And- the launch, the official launch for my book is happening at the Halifax Library in Paulo Regan Hall on June 15th. Okay. And I think it's at 7 p.m. But um, just check my any of my sites. I'll, I'll be sure to post yeah. about it. Uh, if you want to, yeah. if you want to subscribe to my website, you'll definitely get an update. Um, and that's nancyregan.ca. Uh, and also on my website, I will say this, Dana, that you know how I end, I say at the end of the book, to be continued, because the practice mm-hmm. is to be continued. What I decided was that I would continue on my website that section of Doorways to Presence, and I would um, continue to post new doorways. And those doorways yeah. are just my own tools for bringing myself right into the present moment. They're suggestions, they're they're little offerings put out into the world. This works for me, maybe it'll work for you. If it doesn't, you know, throw it out, don't worry about it. And um, that's that's kind of fun. So that's something I'm I'm just gonna be launching into soon. Yeah, awesome. Oh, and the one other thing is that apart from my book launch on the 15th at the Halifax Library, Anne Beirut Bay and I, who I mentioned earlier and who you mm-hmm. know now, uh, Anne and I are doing a really cool show, not a show, hmm, an evening in Moncton at the Capitol Theater on June 21st. Right. And it's called the Self-Love Tour. And mm-hmm. and we didn't know what to call it because we wanted to do something together. We've both got new books out. Anne has her phenomenal book, The Burnout Antidote, which is so yeah. timely right now, of course. Yeah. And we just decided, well, what's the main theme between the, the two of our books? The main theme is, is um, self-acceptance and self-compassion and self-love. So that's what uh, it is called. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really great. We've already got a ton of people coming. It's not sold out yet though. So if, um, if you feel like it, you're in the area, if you're in the jurisdiction, then think about uh, joining us. And yeah, again, you fantastic. can, yeah, you can probably uh, check the Capitol website or I will put something on my own website about it as well. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for all of this information, for sharing your journey once again in even more detailed. And as you say at the end of your book, to be continued. To be continued. Call me anytime, Dana. I love talking to you. I love the way you show up in the world. I see your light and I absolutely respect it and admire it. And I appreciate you. Mm, back at you, soul sister. Okay, Thank soul you. sister. See ya. <laughs> Bye-bye. That was such a great conversation. If you loved it too, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please go to iTunes to rate and review this podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation, connect with Soul Sister Conversations on the Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dana Lloyd Leadership, on Twitter at Coach Dana underscore Lloyd, and of course on LinkedIn. See you next week.